listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. If you guys have a copy of God's Word, which I would encourage you, whether it's through phone or tablet or hard copy, uh, open it to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. We have been working our way through this. I think we're in week seven or so. Uh, that we started back in Advent, and so we're in chapter four. Again, if you're a guest, or if you've only been here a couple weeks, and you're asking, well, this is the third different person I've seen uh, up here. My name is Bill, I'm one of the pastors on staff, and so I've uh, been out for a little bit, had some, some COVID cold, but I'm good to go. I'm immune now, I guess, I don't know, uh, but here we are, so uh, it's good to be back with y'all. My uh, son, who's my oldest son, who's in college, introduced me to something that I wish was around when I was in school back in the 90s. Uh, this, this great little website, some of you younger folks know that it's called Rate My Professor, right? And so uh, this is giving college students way too much power and authority and say, but it, it, for those who are unfamiliar, basically it's a website that college students rate their professors, right? And just like you would expect, there's some very interesting things written by college students. I read one review this week where the student said, I... I hope that you get the swine flu and give it to your family. I thought that's a great, uh, yeah, so that's the kind of stuff you get when you open up social media to, to teenagers, right? So, but in theory, it's a great idea because the goal is that before I take chemistry, psychology, biology, whatever, that you can see what the professor is like, right? Is this a professor that takes role, which is clearly important for college students who like to skip class? Uh, is there a lot of homework, uh, are the tests difficult? Is the teacher boring? And, and so that's the goal of this website is that before you jump into this course, that you would understand what is coming, what is expected of me in this course, right? And so on surface, if you took college students out of the picture, it would be actually helpful. Uh, that's a little bit what our text is this morning. It's uh, Matthew's version of, of rate the preacher, Although he's not going to evaluate, but what here's what he's going to do. He's going to let you know what you're getting into if you sign up to enter Jesus's course. He's about to go public with his ministry. What we've seen is kind of his origin story, where he's from and all these things. And now Jesus is going public with his ministry. And one of the first things Matthew is going to have him have us uh, read as in the next couple weeks is what's considered one of the greatest, if not the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, Familiar terms for some of you, real creative because Jesus preached it on the side of the mountain. So it's the Sermon on the Mount. And what it is, it's a hundred or so verses. It's not very long. You can read it in about 10 minutes. We're gonna take several weeks to work through it. But it's, it's Jesus, is a course for Jesus basically saying, this is what it looks like to live under the authority of the king. This is kingdom living 101. Professor Jesus Christ. And what Matthew is going to do and this little kind of transitional section right before he jumps in the sermon is he's gonna inform you about the preacher. He's going to, before he jumps into the preaching, he wants you to know about the preacher. Before he tells you uh, about the course, he's, he wants to tell you about the one who is giving the course because he wants us to be informed. Again, we have his origin story. We have that he was born of a virgin. There's a miracle, a birth. And remember, this is a gospel that is written to the nation of Israel. And so it has a Jewish flavor, a very Jewish flair. And so what Matthew has done is shown how the Lord Jesus and the nation of Israel, how their, their stories kind of coincide a little bit. 
just like Jesus was, was a miracle baby, the nation of Israel was a miracle baby. Abraham, way too old to have kids. Sarah, way too old to have kids. But what happens? God opens her womb and she has Isaac, right? There's a miracle there. And then we saw that the nation of Israel back in Exodus went down into Egypt, just like Jesus goes down into Egypt. We saw that just Israel comes out of Egypt through the water. We saw the Lord Jesus came out of Egypt and he went into the baptismal water. And then we saw Israel went into the wilderness and Jesus went into the wilderness. And where Israel failed, Jesus did not. He did not. And before he jumps into now his public ministry, Matthew is going to inform us about the preacher. And there's gonna be four things that we're gonna see as we work through this text today. I, I want you to know, because we're, the Sermon on the Mount, famous passage, but it's a challenging passage. And understanding what the preacher is saying and what he is expecting is gonna be critical for us to find a success, so to speak, in this course. So Matthew chapter four, and we're gonna cover verse 13 all the way through chapter five, verse one. So let me read our text and then we'll, we'll kind of kind of slowly unpack it and see some things we can learn about the preacher. Verse 12, let's pick up. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what, the, what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people Dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. And seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples, his disciples came to him. So did you catch anything about the preacher? Remember, when you're studying the scripture, one of the things we encourage you is to, especially when you come to a passage like this, you're like, what, what does this have to do with anything? You always wanna ask simple questions. Number one, what does this teach me about God? Secondly, what does this teach me about me? And what does it encourage me or challenge me to do? So you start asking those questions and things start to kind of come to the surface and it helps us to see why this is here. So it starts off in saying, when he, that is Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Uh, and leaving Nazareth, he went to Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun. And so we're familiar, if you kind of grew up in the church, with some of those names. But that's, re that's really all they are is names, right? Galilee, Nazareth, uh, Capernaum, you know, Zebulun, Naphtali. See, because we don't live in first century Israel, so we just know the names. We have really no clue to the significance. And this is why it's always good to get you a little map or a little atlas or Google so that you can, these places mean something. The original audience, they knew what he's talking about here. If I told you that Jesus started his ministry in Ardsley Park and then he moved to Bloomingdale, you'd be like, oh, 
Okay, I get it. I, I don't know why he would do that, but, he, 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 but you would understand because you know location. Oh, he started in Tybee and then he moved to Richmond Hill. Okay, good. That means he had to go here, here and get on Truman and go. You understand the roads and the systems. So it's important to understand. So let me show you kind of what's going on here and why this is significant. Here's a map of Israel. Okay, hopefully you can see that. It's the best one I could find for free um, and online. So, but Galilee is to the north. All right, if, you have, if you're under 40, you can see that. If you're not, just trust me, it's in the north. Okay, the little Sea of Galilee, that's there. The big ocean at the bottom is the Dead Sea. The ocean to the left is the Mediterranean Sea. Okay, that's, that's Israel. So you see Samaria's in the middle. That's kind of no man's land. No good Jew is gonna go there. They're gonna actually go around it because they hated the Samaritans. Judea is in the south, okay? That's where all the big stuff goes on, right? That's New York City, Washington, D.C., Philly. That's, that's that area. You got Jerusalem there. You got Bethlehem there. This is happening. And so when it says that Jesus withdrew, he leaves the south and he moves north. It doesn't make any sense. It's just like now. Are you gonna leave the south and move north? Not unless you're crazy, Okay, and the equivalents here are the same. Jesus, in essence, goes from like where everything's happening and he moves to, if this was the United States, to Maine. Now, who goes to Maine? Unless you like uh, Anne of Green Gables and L.L. Bean, you don't move to Maine, right? You wanna move where everything's happening. What's in Jerusalem? The temple, all the religious leaders. Everyone comes there several times a year. That's where everybody is. And so if you're starting a ministry, you're not gonna move to the north, to Capernaum, which is a little sea town. But that's exactly what Jesus does. And not only is it just makes no sense geographically because it's cut off from Judea, Samaria is right in the middle. If you're gonna get to Judea, you gotta go all the way around because you don't go through, you go all the way around. So not only is he geographically cut off, the people in the south, the cultured people, they, they despise the people in the north. Galilee is, is, is seen as this melting pot and there's a bunch of Gentiles. That's why it, in the text it says Galilee of the Gentiles. It's not a Jewish place. It's a, it's a mixed place. So no self-respecting Jew is going to go there and live there if he can help it. But yet that's exactly where the Lord Jesus goes. And he tells them why. Matthew says why. He says, this is to fulfill a prophet. Prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter nine, we read this at Christmas all the time. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee, the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. Those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light of dawn. And then he goes down a couple verses later, for unto us a child is born, a son is given. His name is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. And you're familiar, right? But th this is the point, right? This is what I want you to see. When the preacher shows up, he goes where no self-respecting Jew would ever go. He goes to Galilee. And this should tell you something about the preacher. This should tell you something about the Lord Jesus. The first thing I want you, before you enter his course, here's what you need to know. You need to expect the unexpected. Because this is not gonna be a class like you've ever been in. This is not gonna be a teacher like you've ever had. He's going to do things and say things that are gonna flip the paradigm upside down. One of my first classes in seminary was a Bible exposition class Bible X1, and I didn't know anything about professors, and I was super nervous because I was a PE major, and I didn't even do well there. So I go to seminary, and I show up in this class, Genesis through Judges, and the professor, Jim Alban, I'll never forget it, the first day he says this, he says, some of you don't need to get an A in this class. And I thought, where was this man my entire life? <laughs> he said, it would be sinful for you to get an A, and I was like, amen, amen, Jesus, praise God. 
And so he unpacks, he said, so this is what happens. In his class, if you want an A, it was three papers, get an A in the exam, B, two papers, and such and such. And I was like, this is the best thing I've ever heard. And so I took Jim Allman for every class I could ever take at that seminary. But it flipped the paradigm of what I was expecting. Jesus is going to show up and he's gonna say, I bring the kingdom. And he's gonna flip the paradigm of what everybody thinks the kingdom is. Because you got all different camps in that day. You have a group of people called the zealots. You've heard of them? One of the disciples was a zealot. The zealots were like, in essence, the the Christian nationalists of the day. They just wanted to take over and make this, this is gonna be our nation. And we're gonna do it wherever we we need to kick out Rome and we need to fight and we need to take up arms and we're gonna win the battle. That's what they did. And they are constantly rebelling and attacking and just whatever it took to bring back the nation. That's one group. And then you had another group, that would, the Essenes, and they would just like, no, 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 we are pacifists. We're gonna hide in the caves. The world is really bad. So we're gonna go live in the country and we're just gonna copy the Bible and live in caves. And we'll let God judge them when he judges them. We're just gonna hide. And then when God judges them, we'll come in. That's how God will bring the kingdom. Then you had the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the religious leaders. And they, they thought we can bring in the kingdom by just keeping the rules. So here's what the Torah says. So we're, this is all the laws. And so we're gonna make laws for the laws and then make laws for that so we don't break the laws that refer to the laws. And if we can keep all the laws, then we'll bring in the kingdom. And Jesus is gonna come on the show and say, okay, all of y'all are wrong. I am the kingdom, right? So if you wanna enter the kingdom, your righteousness needs to be greater than the Pharisees. And people are like, how is that possible? They're the most righteous people. And he's gonna tell these guys that wanna fight and fight and fight. He's gonna say, blessed are the merciful, the meek. And if you're persecuted, you're blessed. And they're gonna be like, what? And then you got the Essenes who are hiding in the caves and think they're so holy because all they do is Bible study all day. And he's like, who told you to hide? You were the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. What are you doing in caves? You don't hide a light in a cave. He's gonna say all sorts of things that are upside down. You wanna enter in the kingdom? You gotta come through the narrow gate that no one else goes through not the wide gate. You, your, your right hand's causing you to sin? Cut it off. Don't make any rules. Oh, and by the way, that guy over there, your enemy who hates you, love your enemy. This, this teacher, this preacher is going to tell you things that are completely opposite of what you heard. He's gonna ask you to do things that are completely different than what you've done. And you need to be ready, if you're gonna enter his course, to expect the unexpected because that's the type of professor, preacher he is. And when he shows up, here's his message. Look what he says, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Same exact message that John the Baptist was saying before he gets arrested for telling Herod not to marry his stepsister, which is always good, I mean, his his sister-in-law, which is good advice, don't marry your sister-in-law. Right, but Herod gets thrown in jail, Jesus shows up, and he's saying the same exact thing, what? Repent, why? The kingdom of heaven is at hand, or the kingdom of God is it's used elsewhere, synonymous. And, and real briefly, when you think of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, uh, and there's a lot of debate, and you can read all the articles depending on your theological position of where this is, but here's the idea. The kingdom of heaven is not just a place. It is a place, but it's not just a place. Now, my position, biblically, is that the kingdom of heaven, right now, God is ruling and reigning. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. But one day, Jesus will return, and he will actually set up a physical kingdom on this physical earth. I know some of you disagree with me, and when it happens, you can come talk to me, okay? But 
Whatever, whatever your position on the kingdom of heaven, it's just heaven, it's not earth, there's a kingdom, there's not. Here, here's the big idea. The kingdom of heaven at its core is the rule and reign of Christ over his people. Right now, he's in heaven ruling and reigning. One day he will return and rule and reign. It's the rule of the king. And he says it's near. Why is it near? Because the king is here. And he is offering the kingdom because he is the king of the kingdom. That, that's the main idea. That's, that's what you gotta understand. So don't miss the tree through the forest. And because the kingdom is here, what is the response? Repent. There's that key word right after repent. Repent, why? For the kingdom is near. Because the kingdom is near, the implication is you're not ready for it. You are not fit as you are right now for the kingdom. Something has to Change And Andrew talked about repentance a few weeks ago when John the Baptist was on the scene. It's not, I feel bad about something. It's not, oh, woe is me. It's a turning. It's a 180. So sometimes my wife and I'll be going out and I'll get dressed and she'll be like, I get this statement. You're not wearing that, are you? And I respond, no, I'm not. That is a call to repentance. It's a call to change. Are you telling me my jeans and my Yoda t-shirt are not appropriate for this outfit to go out? No. So it's time for khakis and a button down. So what do I do? I repent. I go into the closet and I put on something different. I've changed because I was not fit for where we are going. Jesus is saying, the kingdom is here. You are not fit. You're not ready. You need to what? Change. Here's the second thing you need to understand about this, this preacher. Okay, and this is a biggie. He expects you to change. He expects you to turn, to turn around, right? And I know some of us are like, well, I thought Jesus loved me and you know, he goes after the one and leaves the 99 and he loves me where I'm at and who I'm. He absolutely does, but he loves you enough that he doesn't want you to stay there. So he calls you to repent, well, I thought, Bill, if I was forgiven of my sin, I was forgiven of all my past sins, my present sins, and my future sins. You absolutely are. But that doesn't mean when sin doesn't show up that you don't turn from it. The tense of the verb of the command, repent, it's in the present tense, which means it's not just a one-time deal. I repented, now I can just go live my life and it's fire insurance. No, it's a constant repenting. And as you're sitting in this course and as, as God is speaking and saying, hey, this is an issue here, you, as you're confronted with your sin, what do you do? You turn. And once you think you got that under control, okay, good, now I'm not, I don't, I've controlled my temper or I don't cuss anymore or I do this. And you think, okay, just when you think I'm there, I've arrived. And then God says, oh yeah, but let's talk about this. And he goes a little bit deeper and he piles deeper in your soul and he shows, oh, how about this? And you're like, oh yeah. And as he shows you those things, you repent. And the, the Christian life, understand this, it's not all it is, but a big piece of following Jesus and being in this course is you are constantly fighting sin, turning from sin, it's, it's, a, it's an important piece of following Jesus. If you wanna follow me, take up your cross, deny yourself when? Daily. And so it's not all there is, but the Christian is constantly fighting, confessing, repenting sin. If you're gonna take this class. We looked at it in Peter. How many things did Peter say? Put away malice, hypocrisy, envy, slander. You shall be holy for I am holy. The time already passed has been sufficient for you to carry out the desires of the Gentiles, sensuality. These are the things we are repenting of as God shows them us. 
And this is important for us because I think in the church, we have come to a place where we soft pedal sin. Isn't it interesting? We never, when people talk about Jesus and his preaching, well, Jesus only preaches about love. Jesus preaches about love one another. He absolutely does. He also preaches about sin and how you need to repent of sin and turn from sin. Right? It is part of this course. It is part of sitting at his feet. And I would ask you, are, is there things in your life? Because this is what we do. Well, I'm not as bad as I used to be. That is true. I'm not as bad as them. Are you playing with sin? Are you like, well, I'll deal with that after I deal with this. If God is showing you, no, no, this is something in your life, this relationship, it's unhealthy. This attitude towards your parents, it's not good. This work ethic, you're just kind of sliding by. No, no. If God is revealing those things, your response, if you're in this course, is to repent and to change, right? Because he gives you his spirit to change. He's called us to be different, to be distinct, not to justify, not to say things like, we hear this all the time, here, especially a lot of young folks, but even older folks these days. Well, did God really say that? Did God really say, I, you know, there's not really a Bible verse that says I shouldn't live with my girlfriend. There's no verse about that, so it's okay. Yeah, well, let's sit down and talk about that. It's not, there's no real Bible verse about marijuana, you know? No, there's no Bible verse about R-rated movies, so it's not really a big deal if it's got a bunch of junk in it, and I'm just like, yeah. We, that's, that's what we do, we play with it. And I'm not saying you should never watch an R-rated movie. I am saying you shouldn't be living with your girlfriend, and I am saying you shouldn't be smoking marijuana. But, but we play with sin. We don't flee from sin. And if you're gonna be in this course and you're gonna follow this king, you need to repent of sin. That's what he says, right? That's what you need to know about this preacher. Expect the unexpected and know he's gonna call you to change. He just is. Let's continue. We're gonna see, we're gonna be introduced to two sets of brothers, famous disciples that come up a lot in the gospels. So he's walking by the Sea of Galilee. He sees two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter. We, we know him. And Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men, and immediately they leave their nets and follow. Going from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John. These are the sons of thunder, right? James, who wrote the, uh, James, who becomes uh, the first martyr, John, who is writing the gospel, John, who writes the letters, first, second, and third, John, and Revelation. Again, these are some of the most famous of the disciples. Uh, they're in the boat with their father, Zebedee, uh, and, and he calls them, and they do the same thing. So you got two brothers, all fishermen, and I know there's a lot of myths about fishermen in that day. Oh, just the poor, dumb fishermen, right? They're not poor and they're not dumb, first of all. These men probably spoke, they definitely spoke Aramaic because that's the language of their day. They probably spoke Greek because their trade language of the day. They probably dabbled in some Latin and they knew Hebrew. That's four languages. How many languages do you know? Barely English. <laughs> Maybe some of you pig Latin, okay? That's about all you got. So these are intelligent men and they're probably not poor. Okay, the sons of Zebedee, uh, their dad has a couple boats and some servants. Doesn't mean they're killing it, but they're not poor. They're not like, you know, foot, you know hand to mouth, oh, we're starving here. They got business on the Sea of Galilee. They're fishermen, right? So they're making a good living and Jesus shows up and here's where you expect the unexpected, right? Jesus shows up and flips the paradigm completely, right? This is where a cultural understanding of this makes uh, kind of comes into play. He goes to them and while they're at work, tending the nets, casting the net and said, hey, come follow me. I say, why is that significant? Because in that day, 
Rabbis did not go recruiting students. The student went to the rabbi. The rabbi would just teach, and if you wanted to follow this guy or that guy or this guy, you would approach them and say, I would like to be your student. Kind of like, kind of like you apply to the college you wanna to go to. I wanna to go to Georgia Southern. I wanna to go to Georgia Tech. I wanna to go to Georgia. You apply where you wanna go. You find a teacher you like, and you go to him and say, I would like to follow you. The teacher didn't go to the student, but that's exactly what Jesus does. And when he does, he says, now you follow me. And nobody does this. The prophets of the Old Testament, think about it. When Elijah shows up, Isaiah shows up, they don't say, follow me. They say, follow God. The teachers of the day, the rabbis, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they don't say, follow me. They say, follow the Torah. Jesus says, you guys follow me. And I want you to do it now. Like right now? I mean, like we're still working for our dad. Right now, come on. All right, it, it is a radical picture. And here's the next thing you need to know about this preacher. He assumes the right to tell you what to do. Keyword, authority, right? This is why we call this book, uh, call this series, series, All Authority. authority. He assumes the right to command and that you will follow, which is a challenging concept for us in America, the idea of authority. Like, who can tell you what to do with your money? Who can tell you what to do with your body? Who can tell you what to do with your house and your job and your stuff? Who gives you the, who, who has the right to do that? He does. And he assumes the right to do it. He can and he will. And he does. Right? And, and again, the point of this passage is not, this passage has probably been used at every missions conference in the world, right? You gotta make disciples and go fishing for men. And so every one of you should leave your jobs tomorrow and tell your boss you're out. You're going to be a fisher of men. That's not the point of the passage. There's only... 12 guys that walked away from their jobs, ultimately, uh, that were called away. Some people willingly walked away, Zacchaeus and others. But these are the only 12 that are called to go to their boss tomorrow and say, hey, I'm giving you my notice. Most of you, God is not calling you away from being a public school teacher or working at Gulfstream or being whatever. That's, that's not the point. Here's the point, that God has the right to command your life, that Jesus has the right to tell you what to do. And when he speaks... He doesn't speak, these aren't his humble suggestions to you. Maybe if you think about it, you should live pure with your girlfriend, if you feel like it. Maybe you should start being generous with your money. I mean, I don't, you know, maybe, maybe you should give a little bit of your money to the kingdom, but you know, whatever you want, your call. Maybe you should, maybe you should be, start, stop lying to your parents, if it, if it works out for you. When he speaks, he is not making humble suggestions because he's the king. He's not inviting you in to a democracy. He's not inviting you into a republic. He's inviting you into a kingdom. And in the kingdom, there is a king. And when the king speaks, he does so authoritatively. And so if God is speaking, what do we do? Immediately, we follow. Again, it's unlikely that any of you are being called to Cuba to go start an orphanage or something, right? Maybe. But the idea is this. If you're in this course, if this is your preacher, if this is your rabbi, if this is your Lord, then you come with open hands. And if he says, cut your right hand off, I'm ready. If he says, this is where I want you to go, this is where you go. This is what I want you to do, this is what you do. And it may be dramatic, 
Like when I was a school teacher and God says, we want, I want you to move to Dallas, Texas, go to seminary. It might be dramatic or it might be simple. In fact, I would pro- I'd probably argue that most of the Christian life is just simple steps of obedience day after day. Go tell that person you're sorry. Be kind to this person even though they're not to you. Work hard even though no one's seeing. I know they wanna cheat, but don't cheat. It's little steps of obedience. And when you walk in just little steps of obedience, when those big steps come, it's not gonna be that big because you've been following all along in the first place. Now for these guys, it's significant. There's no doubt about it. It's gonna rock their world. I mean, you, can you imagine him showing up at your work? You're working for your dad, by the way. Okay, so it's a family business. And Jesus shows up, and this is not the first time they interacted with Jesus, but Jesus shows up and says, you follow me. What do you think your dad's gonna say? Where are you going, son? This is all you know. This is all you've been. This is, your whole identity is you're a fisherman. All right, you don't know anything else. Not only that, hey, Mrs. Peter, how's that gonna go over when Peter goes home? Honey, I got a new job. Oh, really, what are you doing? I'm fishing for men. What does that even mean? I don't know, but Jesus told me I'm doing it. How are we gonna eat? I don't know. I say, there's, a, there's a, a huge unknown here. Their ID is wrapped up in this. Their family, I mean, their dad has left it. And he's like, who am I gonna hire? You're my only boys. What, what is going on? You just walk away in the middle of the day? You're not even gonna clean up? But see, that's what ultimately God is saying. Hey, when I show up, when I speak, you follow. It's an open-handed thing here. That's what he's calling us to. And it starts with the little things and maybe it's gonna be the big thing. Maybe you're finding your identity in this relationship that you know is unhealthy and God's saying, I want you to lay that down. I've been telling you for six months. Your roommate's been, I've been using your roommate to tell you. I've been using your parents to tell you. Everybody's been telling you, I need you to lay that down. Maybe some of you are holding on to something over here too much and you're finding way too much uh, passion in this and you're missing out on all these other things and God's saying, "I'm, I'm asking you to follow me. I don't know. I don't know, but the point is this. When he speaks, and he will, there's open-handedness because you have been bought with a price. Glorify God with your body. And and I think just a side application for us as a church is this. If we're gonna be the kind of church that's obedient, then, then we have to have a fishing ministry. And I don't mean... A physical, a physical one. Some of you are like, yeah, I've been waiting for this. Where's the, where's the fishing, fishing team? Don't miss the metaphor. When Jesus says, I'm gonna make you fishers of men, some of you are thinking, okay, yeah, let's go fly fishing and we gotta lure them in. And so you're trying to lure people in with bacon and Krispy Kreme, which is admirable, but that's not the fishing we're talking about here. The fishing is we're casting the net wide and we're working hard and we're trying to bring folks into the net. Right, that's the idea. And if we as a church are not fishing for men and women, for new fish, then we are not really a church. We're just a little group that gets together on Sunday morning and talks about God. Part of the mission of the church is to get new fish. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We, we, we follow the great commandment, which is love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we, we follow the great commission, which is go and make disciples and we're looking up, that's the great commandment, and we're looking out, that's the great commission. And when we lose sight of looking up and looking out, what do we do? We look down and we look in. And a church that's looking in, well, what are we gonna do? And uh, look at the carpet, the carpet's kind of dirty, and we're just, oh, that person's annoying, and oh, you know, I don't, I'm kind of tired, and uh, what are we gonna, when we're looking in and down, we lose sight of being a church. 
Your job, this course, has an external function to it, and it's fishing. That doesn't mean you have to be Billy Graham, but you, there's an urgency to the preaching of Jesus. Is there not? Repent, the kingdom is near. There's an urgency there. And if, if, if what Jesus says is true, then the souls of men and women, their eternity is in the balance. This is not some like, well, if they want. No, there is an urgency to the gospel message because people will either spend an eternity with God and delight and joy or an eternity separate from him in a place the Bible describes as the lake of fire, which is horrible. And so he has given us a job. Get your net out, folks. Be praying for your neighbor. Be pursuing your roommate. Be praying about an opportunity to give an account of the hope that is in you with gentleness and reverence. That's, if you're not fishing, then what are you doing? This class has a fishing component, right? Because the, fair, the, the, the teacher, the prof, says we're gotta be fishing. So that's, that's kind of a side application, but it, I think it's important to, it, to understand. So know your professor. Expect the unexpected. He will call you to repent, and he will give you instructions and expect us to follow. There's one more thing. Let's close out the chapter. Verse 23. He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction among the people. So his fame spread through all Syria and they brought him all sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. So you see three facets of Jesus's ministry. He's, he's teaching in the synagogues. That's a Saturday deal, right? Every Saturday he'd go into a synagogue, which is like a local little church because everyone can't go to tabernacle or temple every week because it's all the way down in Jerusalem. So they'd have synagogues. And so he'd go into the synagogue and he'd teach. And he'd proclaim the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. Repent, the kingdom is here, I'm here. People walking in darkness have seen a great light. And then the third facet was he healed people. All sorts of people, right? Healing, they're bringing him to him. Uh, all, and we're gonna see miracle upon miracle upon miracle in this book. And this is... And again, the miracle piece is what everyone loves, right? No, the preaching, yeah, Jesus is a good preacher, and the teaching, yeah, but what people are coming for is the miracles. That's, that's what's drawing the crowds, and rightfully so, because Jesus' miracles validate who he is. Anyone can show up and say, kingdom's here, I'm here. Well, how do we know? Because the signs of the kingdom are here, and Jesus is doing miracles to validate who he is which is what miracles ultimately, the purpose of miracles in the scripture was. It was a miracle with a message. These guys, listen to them. I know that, you know, depending on the TV that you watch or the preachers you watch, you know, we use the word miracle, miracle, miracle all the time. There's actually not a lot of miracles in the Bible. In fact, there's only six groups of individuals or individuals in the, all, in the entire Bible that actually perform miracles. First miracle person that, that performs miracles in the Bible, his name's Moses, Right? He's the first one to do miracles. And then the second person, his protege, Joshua. And then you have, you have hundreds of years with no miracles until a prophet named Elijah shows up, performs miracles. And then his protege, Elisha, performs miracles. Then you have another seven, 800 years, no miracles until the Lord Jesus shows up and performs miracles. And then his protege's, called the apostles do miracles. 
See, miracles are not normative. And I'm not saying God does not still do miracles. We pray for miracles. We pray for healings. But the way that these were happening, where, where people that couldn't walk, that were blind from birth, that were dead, I'm not talking about some guy that's like, I have arthritis in my knee and we're dragging him across the stage. Oh, good, look, you can, you can walk now. No, we're talking about legitimate miracles. And they validated the message of the gospel in the early church. And that's what's going on here, right? And that's what there's a lot of flash to. And people are coming to see. So great crowds followed from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Everyone's coming, even from the south. They're going up, up. They're coming from the west. They're coming from the east. They're coming from the way north to see the miracles. And here's what I want you to see. If Jesus had a marketing, a consulting firm, he would be building on this. Hey, we gotta build on this, man. We gotta do some miracles. We gotta sit down and have a a crusade. We gotta do something. We gotta set up a tent. We gotta set up a stage. Jesus, there's all these people. Seeing the crowds, thousands of people, on the mountain. They all come into him. His disciples come and they sit. And what is he gonna do? He's gonna teach them. Which is super interesting. Because if you thought, well, wait, the people are not, they're here to see the miracles. They're, they're here to see the show. They want you to wow them, Jesus, so wow them. Jesus is not interested in wowing the crowds. He's interested in what? Teaching his disciples. It's very significant. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount begins. It says, they, they went up on the mountain, they, he sits down, that's a position of authority, his disciples come to him, and verse two, he opened his mouth and he taught them. Here's the last thing you need to know about this, this professor. He's not interested in wowing the crowds. He's not interested in, in giving you some grand experience. He is looking for students to sit at his feet. And he doesn't need a big class. With 12 men, He changed the world. He could easily call down fire from heaven. In fact, there's certain places when they're like, do a sign. He's like, the only sign you're getting is the sign of Jonah, aka the resurrection. He's not interested in, in wowing. What he's interested in is you being willing to sit at his feet and listen to him. To take his yoke upon you and learn from him. He is gentle and lowly in heart. I think this is significant for the church of this day because let's be honest, we want to be entertained, don't we? Are you not entertained, right? We want to, to draw the crowds and so that you leave and say, wow, isn't that great? The greatest this and the greatest that. Jesus could have done that, but that's not what he does. The crowds come and what does he do? He sits down and he looks at these 12 men and he starts to teach them. Everyone else is invited in to hear it, but he starts teaching these men. That's, that's what he's about. Shaping them, speaking to them, them taking his yoke upon them and learning from him. I would say this, that, that more important than, than us drawing the crowds and, and you coming and doing all these things would be tomorrow morning you waking up and one of the first things you do is to get alone with the God of the universe, to sit at his feet, to open his word, and to say, here I am, Lord, speak, just like Samuel does. Here I am, Lord, what, what do you want me to do today? To pray about your day, to pray about an opportunity to be a fisherman, to pray about an opportunity to follow your king, to repent of sin, that the most important thing you could do tomorrow morning would not be to go to work, but just to sit at the feet of the Savior for a few moments to hear from him, right? That's what he's looking for. Little areas to follow him, little areas where he will kind of guide you by his spirit 
on what he wants you to do that day. That's what we're talking about, right? Are you willing to sit at his feet? Maybe not get all your dreams met, but to hear his voice, to follow him, to obey him. That's the professor, right? You can expect the unexpected. He does things a little bit different. He's gonna tell you areas you need to change and he's gonna expect that you're gonna follow him. And he's not trying to build a fan base, but he is trying to build some followers who will know his heart and learn from him. And again, he's probably, if, if, if you were really gonna, you know, we don't rate Jesus because we have no right. What we do is worship Jesus and we bow at Jesus. But in his day, if he was rated by those around him, we're gonna see at the end, he's got nobody. He's abandoned by even his best friends. At the cross, John is there and the ladies who are faithfully following him and that's it. I mean, he gets a one star as a professor. Don't wanna follow this guy. He's rejected by men. He is crucified for being faithful. But remember this, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And what he's offering us, the narrow gate, is the kingdom. He says, and it comes only through me. It comes through repentance from sin, faith in me and what I have done and following me. That's the entrance to the kingdom. And, and like later on, when everyone leaves him after Jesus teaches some, some challenging things and he goes to the disciples and say, you guys still in my class? You still wanna be here? And they give a great response. Where are we gonna go? You're offering words of eternal life. It's a great, great question. Where, you, where else are you gonna go? He is the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father but through him. So we're gonna have an opportunity to see what kingdom living, kingdom 101 looks like in the next several weeks. And I just pray it will be a, a, a challenging time for us because we're gonna get hit in the face with some things. Uh, but we're gonna hear what it is to follow the king as he preaches to us. So let me pray. And you know, we have some time to sing and to reflect. And here's what I would encourage you as you're, as you're preparing to sing. If there's some kind of sin that you know that you're not repenting of, Today's the day. If there's some kind of obedience that you've been neglecting to walk in, today's the day. Deal with it today. Today, if you hear the Spirit's voice, do not harden your heart. Right, I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you've been in. I mean, we all come and we have our smiles on and we're all New Year, Happy New Year, yay. But in the, in the reality, the Spirit of God knows exactly where you are and he wants to draw you to the Father. And don't run. If he's putting his finger on something in your heart, in your life, hey, we need to deal with that, deal with it. Deal with it today. Because he is gracious, he is a good king who loves you. This is why he's revealing the kingdom to you. This is why he's offering it. Repent and believe, right? That's why he came. The son of man didn't come to condemn, but that we might be saved through him. So let me pray. Father, thank you for your word, for uh, this, this section of scripture that's just so powerful Pray that we would use it in the life of our church. I pray that we would be a church that looks up and out, that we would not lose sight of this commission which you have given us to be fishers of men, that you would bring in to our lives people who need you, that we would point them to you, that your spirit would be drawing even now those who we will rub shoulders with this week, that we would repent of sin, that we would find hope and faith and trust and, and, and love in you because that's what you have offered us, that we would take your yoke upon us and that we would learn from you. That would be us as a church and for all others who 
have put their faith in you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.